Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. episode is a technical skill. It's strategic thinking. And surely you're welcome today's guest, Zoe Scarman, onto the podcast. But before I do, let me tell you why I believe strategic thinking is so important. Apart from being the part of marketing I'm personally most passionate about, strategic thinking is the key skill that is going to elevate us both as a profession and also as individuals. Our technical ability to provide clarity on the long-term strategic direction of a brand or business with clarity around the choices that we make, around markets, segments, who we're targeting, how we're positioning ourselves, are absolutely key to unlocking the future growth. It's important to not only make these choices, provide clarity in these choices, communicating these both internally and externally. To arrive at this clarity takes strategic thinking. And that's what we'll discuss on today's podcast. Today's guest is Zoe. She's the founder of Bodacious, a strategic studio focused on illuminating and navigating the new frontiers of innovation within the worlds of brand and entertainment. Her client roster includes Nike, Netflix, Otley, Unilever, EA Games, Snapchat, and many more. She crafts groundbreaking strategies combining rigorous business intelligence with 20 plus years of brand strategy know-how. With a futuristic lens, she embraces new technologies, cultural shifts, and always keeping one eye on what's coming over the horizon. Alongside Bodacious, Zoe was also strategy lead for 77X, the Sportex Youth Culture Studio, founded by NBA superstar Luca Doncic. And prior to that, she spent her career moving between trailblazing creative agencies such as Naked Communications and Drogger 5. Best in class film companies like Ridley Scott Creative Group, where she was global head of strategy and forward thinking innovative consultancies such as Undercurrent and The Upside. The world famous celebrities such as Enrique Iglesias, DJ Khalid and Dita Von Teese. So Zoe, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So as always, we start with a big juicy question and today's big juicy question and also my favourite part of marketing is what is strategic thinking to you? I think strategic thinking to me is super simple. It is literally how do I get from point A to point B in the way that feels right for the business and the brand that I'm working with. And that is it. I don't believe necessarily in formulas. I don't necessarily believe in frameworks or paint by numbers processes. I think it is just how do you get from point A to point B and making sure that you're doing it in the way that feels relevant for the moment, relevant for the culture that you're going into, relevant for the brand, the business, et cetera. And that's it. So what I'm hearing is it's not one size fits all. You're not sat there kind of going, right, which markets are we going to enter? Which segments, which category? Who are we targeting? How are we positioning? It's more about taking a holistic view about what are the cultural moments that we need to be part of now and in the future. I think it's exactly that. And I think that, you know, throughout my career, I've been given frameworks, I've been given, you know, brand onions and brand houses and triangles and all of this stuff to fill in. And the idea was that you would fill it in and it would just magically spit out the answer. And you would follow the same process, whether you were working for a toilet brand or a Nike or a Coca-Cola, and it would always get you to the answer. And the truth of the matter is it doesn't work that way. 
every single brand and business is so unique and the countries that you're operating in, the cultures you're going into, the demographics you're going after. And you just need a relatively rigorous process that you can hone over time, as I said, to get you from point A to point B. But there is no such thing as the perfect framework or the perfect process. Tell us more about that rigorous process. I think it's really as simple as just analyzing, you know, the area that you're in. So I I was teaching business and brand strategy for about six or seven years for APG, so the account planning group, the strategy industry body. And it really is as simple as just making sure you're looking at what is happening in the business. So, you know, how are sales doing? How's distribution doing? Have we had any changes in the way that we're forming relationships with distributors, you know, those kind of things. Have we got our pricing right, et cetera? Then you have a look at the brand. So how is the brand perception at the moment? Do we need to change it? Is it good? Is it bad? Are we needing to move it in a different direction or do we need to double down on our heritage in some way? You look at the audience. So are we targeting the right people? Are we still talking to the ones that are driving the vast majority of sales or helping us with our perception and with our brand? Do we need to move into a new demographic? Are our audience quite literally dying or are they coming out of the crib and we need to engage them? And is that the right way of looking at it? And then it's looking at, you know, the category. So what is happening in the category that we are in? Are we looking at new entrants? Are we looking at a resurgence of interest based on what's happening in culture right now? How is this category evolving over time? And is it something that we're keeping up with or not? And so it's just looking at those kind of basic big buckets and asking yourself those kind of critical questions so that you can get a lay of the land of where are you at right now? Where do you need to get to? And then what might be some of the levers that you can pull to do so? So less about sticking to a framework like SOSTAC and more about the process that you go through to understand that rigour. Yeah, I think so. And as I said, it's just asking yourself the right questions. And it's also making sure that you don't jump straight into solution. And that's one of the things that I've always seen with strategists is that that desperate kind of jump into we should do X without necessarily really interrogating, as I said, the lay of the land and what everything looks like and trying to define what your problem is first and foremost. And I think without being able to actually define what the issue is, how can you possibly get to a solution that you know is answering the big question or the big challenge that you have? And so I think that you almost need to try and stop yourself going into solution mode and really go into articulating what are four or five different problems that we think we're facing or challenges and then turn those into opportunities that potentially you could explore. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I have to say, I've been guilty of it early in my career as well, getting really excited once doing the audit and jumping straight into the tactics about how we could solve that without taking that step back and going, okay, so strategically, who are we targeting? Why are we unlocking that opportunity? What could that be other than just a product or communications? Because I think the thing that I see so often when I'm reviewing strategic plans is, to your point, a lay of the land is the lay of the land now and Mm. not necessarily the themes that could have longevity for three, five years, however long they're writing the strategy. And then I see strategy literally being a list of tactics that they're going to do and usually focused on comms or product development or launches and not really thinking about all of the options available to them that are suitable to address that need. Do you see the same? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the biggest problems, just really not interrogating every single aspect so that you can find the boring stuff. I mean, I remember years and years and years ago, I used to work on the Coca-Cola portfolio when I was in Australia. And we were doing a you know piece of small brand strategy for Appletizer. You know, if we all remember Appletizer from back in the day of our teenage years. And, you know, there was a kind of big brand strategy that was coming out. There was all of these communication tactics that we could do. And so off it went, you know, launched into the market. And this is one of the biggest lessons for my career as well, is I hadn't done the basics. So off it went, launched into the market and nothing happened. The sales were not shifting 
shifting. We couldn't understand why. We were like, you know, we've, we've created this brilliant brand strategy. The communications are awesome. You know, we're targeting the right people. What's happening? And we found out through basically me going into a supermarket that we couldn't find the product anywhere. So walking around, trying to find the product, looking next to, you know, the lemonades and looking next to the Coca-Colas and it wasn't there. And it turns out that the distribution deal that was done through a separate company had apple tizer stocked in the non-alcoholic wine section. So we were driving all of these people to kind of look for apple tizer and be primed to find apple tizer, but they couldn't find it in the supermarket. And that's one of the biggest levers that we pulled. And we just didn't think. And that was such a massive learning for me, you know, when I was in my early 20s in terms of making sure that I interrogate all of those different aspects. Because had we focused on renegotiating distribution and retail strategies, that would have given us a gigantic lift for basically no money. And then actually, you know, all of the brand work that we did and the comms work that we did could have been that much more powerful. But I was so focused on just the comms aspect and the bubble that I was living in that I didn't look at the basics that I needed to cover. And so now I make sure that I'm always looking at that stuff. You and all of us have got lessons like that, I'm sure, that we can share and impart. And similarly with a client I had a while ago was they were asking, you know, how can we step change our growth? So a new management had come into the business I was working in with great ambitions about how they could commercially grow. And, you know, outlining the opportunities about how they could commercially grow were going into new segments, getting lapsed users back into the brand, targeting new users. But the core thing that they had to do first was get their product right, because they could yeah. go after all those occasions, go after all those new users, but they try that product and it's not going to satisfy the core need. And sometimes those things are overlooked in light of, okay, if we need to recruit new users, let's recruit an all agency partnership. Let's get that brief out. Let's get that comms that actually fundamentally going, is the product fit for that audience? Is it going to meet the need states of that category? And for that consumer, let's start there before we worry about whether we're going to invest anything yet. And I remember having that as a really difficult conversation going, yeah, we can do all of that 100% for you, but your product's not performing well right now. And it's going to have to in order for us to be able to address those opportunities. Yeah. And I I think it's one of those things that when we're in agency land, we don't think about that wider landscape. We don't think about the kind of wider issue of what marketing is, you know, the original four P's or five P's or however many you subscribe to. We instead just think about, as you said, the tactics, let's go on TikTok and make some short form video content. Let's start an Instagram profile and do some influencer marketing. And we're not necessarily interrogating the efficacy of the product, as you mentioned, or the distribution strategy, or is the package the right kind of packaging is the price point, the right type of price point. And we don't look at that stuff. You know, we just assume that all of those boxes are already ticked and they're not. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons why in the last 10 years or so, agencies have become more sort of shops for tactics as opposed to partners at the top table thinking strategically with clients is because we just do those little bits and we don't necessarily look at the holistic picture. And therefore, we're not taken as seriously as business partners and as strategic advisors. And I think it's a massive missed opportunity. I couldn't agree more. In fact, it's one of the courses that I delivered to agency partners, which is how to become a strategic partner to your clients. And it's exactly that. It's like, do you understand the wider context of the business? Do you understand the challenges they face internally or how they're structured? Do you understand the brand that you're working on and the challenges that they face? You know, do you understand the commercial number that they are chasing? Do you understand it's having all of that all the way through so that when you are developing proposals or you are building and responding to briefs, that you are doing so with a clear understanding of the challenges the client face, or should I say you both face because it's a partnership and the ways in which you'll deliver the key lead measure, which nine times out of 10 for a client side marketer is a profit number. And 
those two things are absolutely fundamental in order to create a partnership, having that commonality of goal, that commonality of understanding so that you can work in partnership. Yeah, no, completely agree. And I think it's one of those things that we are losing more so. There isn't enough training at the moment in the industry when it comes to strategic thinking. I think that we are hiring young people and kind of throwing them in at the deep end and we are not mentoring them. We're not actually sitting with them and going through the process enough. And we're jumping too quickly into, as I mentioned previously, solutions, channels, tactics, small gimmicky ideas. And the clients are almost having to take on more and more of that strategic role, which is then diminishing the trust that they place in us. I'm seeing exactly the same. Those that are coming into the profession, potentially also being recruited into quite channel focused roles. So a digital focused role or an influencer focused role. And therefore they're missing out on potentially that foundational learning where you would understand the strategy or contribute to the strategy before leading the strategy and then focusing on being a specialist. So they're missing that context. Yeah, strategic thinking constantly is something that not only is it my favourite thing to train, but it's is a thing that I'm constantly being asked because, as you say, new people coming in, but also there's quite a lot of marketers that have also been overpromoted in role because we've got less marketers coming in and therefore they are having to move up quicker, which is great because it gives them opportunity, but at the same time, not with the support with training. And mm. so they're being asked to develop a right long-term strategy, but never having maybe contributed to one or maybe not having been part of strategic planning process. And now they are responsible for developing and delivering and haven't had that pathway, should we say, into it and don't know what great looks like. And so I think that also is contributing to the jump to tactics as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the guest was Joanna Lord, who's the ex-CMO of ClassPass and a couple of others. And, you know, now she's a fractional CMO. And one of the things that I loved about what she was saying was she was talking about the career path of a marketeer. And she said, you know, when you first start out, we will talk about T-shaped marketers, et cetera, the middle bit being your depth and then obviously the T bit being your breadth of training. And when you start out, you might be really, really deep in something super specific like pay-per-click marketing, for example. And then your breadth bit is you kind of understand a little bit of social media, you know, you kind of understand a little bit of what, I don't know, TikTok advertising looks like, that kind of stuff. But, you know, that is the way of doing it. And then you progress to the next stage and you're much more focused on advertising. That's your kind of depth. And your T-shape is looking at the wider remit of marketing. So understanding the power of partnerships, understanding the power of loyalty programs, that kind of stuff as well. But, you know, advertising is your depth. And then when you become an executive, it changes all over again. So actually, the depth part of it is marketing as a discipline, but you also need to understand finance. You need to understand human relations and resource management. You need to understand trade and retail negotiation. You need to understand business forecasting and wider corporate strategy. And so as you progress, you know, you get more and more exposure to the bigger aspects of how a business works. And, you know, the area that you come in at will always be level of kind of marketing or sort of knowledge around that. But you need to understand the wider cogs that you're operating within. And I think that's one of the things that we really lack because we keep people in pigeonholes. As you mentioned, you know, we have TikTok strategists and we have people looking specifically at loyalty or something like that. And we box them in to such a narrow extent that they don't get the exposure that they need to other aspects of marketing or other aspects of how a business works. And that's why we keep getting these sort of very gimmicky tactics as opposed to bigger holistic planning and bigger holistic viewing. And that's on us. You know, we need to find a way of exposing them to this kind of stuff and actually saying the job of marketing 
doing is to sell product or service and to make money. And there's nothing dirty about that. And you need to understand, you know, how the bigger machine works so that you can make sure that you're contributing to it in a meaningful and effective way. Couldn't agree more. And that contributing to it and clarity, actually, for a second, just to focus there. What the activity that you're focused on is doing is to deliver the comms, to deliver the strategy, to deliver the commercial goal. And I don't think enough people spend the time training, yes, but mentoring or explaining and giving the clarity so people can understand the context as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've also turned the idea of selling into a bad thing. Nobody wants to think about working in advertising and basically selling product because apparently that's not good enough as a role or that makes you feel like you're a bit icky in some way. And so we talked about purpose. We talk about, you know, the power of businesses giving back and all of that kind of stuff. And we get obsessed with it. And the only way for a business to give back is if it's making money in the first place. You know, if a business goes bust, you can't do anything purposeful or positive. And so I think, you know, we have to understand that our role is is accelerants to the machine. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. You know, we're very good at using creativity to get people excited about specific products or services to understand, you know, what the efficacy of these products and services are to reach the right audiences and the right context at that moment of opportunity where they might be considering something new or considering something you know, left of center for them to potentially try and explore. I think that we need to embrace that and we need to be proud of the fact that we're so good at it. And instead of going, you know, it's disgusting that we're, I don't know, selling cans of Red Bull or something along those lines. I think we have to understand that that is the position that we are choosing for ourselves. And I don't think that's negative. And I think moving away from that is just going to continue to fragment this industry and continue the sort of schizophrenia around not understanding what it is that we do and having a fragmented training, fragmented talent, constantly chasing after new things, which is not a bad thing, but obviously making sure that you're based on fundamentals as well. And that's why we're just a bit all over the place at the moment, because we're almost embarrassed in what we do. And therefore, we're kind of running away from it and running towards something else. But everyone's running in different directions. And it's just like headless chicken. It really is. And that's why clarity is so important. And it's almost understated of its importance, in my opinion. I also think not enough people stay humble enough to learn new skills. I've had a few situations where maybe a marketing leader has asked me to come along, do some training, but they've not come themselves. And that's not to say that they need it, but it is about refreshing, staying, making sure, staying humble that you do know everything that's within that and that you can then support your teams in implementing that. And that, that just fascinates me time and time again. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things that I'm coming up against more and more in the last couple of years is just refusal to embrace new concepts, new platforms, new technologies, those types of things. So, you know, everyone turned the idea of the M word, the metaverse into a joke and NFTs were just for idiots and all this kind of stuff. But actually there was real promise in them and there still is real promise in, in those areas. Everyone kind of ridiculed the idea of TikTok when it first came along. But I remember way back when, 2008, 2009, when I was getting excited about the advent of Twitter and Facebook. And I remember senior executive at the agency I was working with said, no one will ever advertise on Facebook because it's not brand safe. It's just a trivial waste of time. So don't put your energy into it. And how wrong he was. And I think that that is going to continue to happen. You know, we are in the business of culture and culture changes and it evolves with new demographics coming in and with new technologies arriving. And, you know, we've got things like the Apple Vision Pro coming out. Web3 and NFTs are going to be the underpinning of a new form of internet going to evolve over the next 10 to 20 years. And we need to stay on top of that kind of stuff. And that's not to say that we should all jump in and we can create JPEGs, 10,000 of them and sell them as NFTs and there's no utility in them or anything like that. That's stupid. That is gimmicky. But we do need to be open 
to new stuff as and when it comes along. I still think, you know, the fundamentals of marketing are always going to be there, but we need to understand that the job of getting people's attention, of being relevant in an ever-evolving culture, means that we have to stay on top of where things are going and where the puck is heading. And I think that there is a real reticence, especially amongst slightly older people in the industry who have said, do you know what, I've learned this to an Olympic level and I don't want to learn another Olympic level sport and I'm happy just to continue to tout this stuff. And then they dig their heels in. Not only do they dig their heels in, but they then start to ridicule and almost get sort of aggressively defensive about new technologies and kind of say, well, they're a load of shit or it's just, it's a fad, it's going to go away, or it's a silly trend and you shouldn't be chasing it and it's all going to die a death. And, you know, nine times out of 10, that's actually not true. And I worry about the kind of cynicism that is coming into the industry that is essentially curtailing our natural curiosity, which is one of the big powerful levers that we have. And it is also curtailing creativity and innovation because you've got a bunch of younger people in the industry who are listening to these quote unquote thought leaders all over everything and saying, do you know what? I'm not going to explore that space because so-and-so says I shouldn't, or I'm not going to have an opinion around that because I don't want to be called out to be stupid or look stupid in any way. And I, you know, I was so worried about it. I wrote a whole talk against it in terms of what the cynicism is doing to the creative industry, which I presented at the IPA Future Leaders course last year and also released it for free because I, I just think it's dangerous. We need to make sure that we're constantly open-minded. We're constantly exploring new things. As I said, it's not to then kind of move away or denigrate from the foundational aspects, but we are needing to layer constantly what it is that we know and how we execute and what we do. I couldn't agree more. And we will include a link to that talk in the show notes so you can hear what Zoe shared at the IPA talk. In fact, I wrote a post at Christmas time. I got absolutely sick of seeing the whole noise around Christmas ads that were coming out and the criticism and finger pointing amongst the profession without really thinking about the person behind that brand or business, without thinking about the person that was running that campaign. And usually fingers being pointed from those that have never been in their shoes, have never been in the shoes of the person that's written the brief and had to negotiate 20,000 opinions internally and had the budget cut three times whilst in production. And, you know, the production didn't quite actualize because of budget cuts against the initial idea and, you know, it coming to market. You know, at the end of the day, we're all testing and learning as we go. We're all trying our best. And that finger pointing, I'm all for looking at an advert thinking, hmm, what was that strategic direction? What do I think there was the creative platform there? What do I think that was the big idea? I'm all for that. But I'm not for pointing at people at fingers and criticising when A, you've not sat in their shoes and B, not embracing the spirit of the industry, which is test and learn, learn together. To your point, embracing new technologies, embracing new thinking, reflecting on is this relevant for my brand or business with an open mind and remaining curious. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I, mean, I actually had a young creative send me a DM on Twitter the other day. I wrote a piece recently on AI doomerism. And again, just kind of going, AI is a tool. It could be super useful for us. I think it's really exciting in terms of what the opportunities are. And at the moment, you've got, again, certain people in the industry kind of going, it's a load of shit. It's just a fad. It's not going to go anywhere. Again, I think they're fundamentally wrong. But this young creative said, you know, I've just done a tactical campaign for a brand that I work with, which is based on AI. 
And I don't want to share it publicly because I'm scared of the scathing reviews I'm going to get. And that is ridiculous. You know, the fact that we're not sharing ideas because we're scared of the criticisms that we're going to receive. And again, that makes us meek. It makes us smaller. It makes us quieter. It makes us stick to the tried and true as opposed to pushing the boundaries and exploring new frontiers. And that gets us stuck in a certain kind of sausage factory conveyor belt mentality of just churning out generic work Mm. that necessarily brave or interesting or of actually putting ourselves out there because we'd rather not face criticism. So we're just going to do the path of least resistance and the generic stuff. And then again, that counts against the industry because it means that we're not seen as leading edge. We're not seen as that particularly innovative. And so clients will start exploring other alternatives or doing stuff in-house or working with different partners. And it's just, a, it's a vicious cycle. So I think that we need to be so much more cognizant of the finger pointing, as you say, of the cynicism, of the defensive, aggressive tone that I think is permeating a lot of the conversations out there at the moment because it is damaging the industry as a whole. It's damaging new business. It's damaging how clients see us, how brands see us. And they're actually starting to do so much more of this work themselves or hiring Avengers Assemble teams of freelancers to do it who are going to be much more open-minded. And I don't think people see the bigger impact of it and the negative impact of it. And also we've got a bunch of young kids kind of going, well, screw that. I don't want to work in an industry that does that. I'm going to go and work somewhere else. So we're losing out on new talent coming in as well. So the whole thing is just messy. And that's why I always try and champion optimism as a mindset, being open about all of these new things, exploring where they could go, not just shutting stuff down and saying, you know, computer says no. I couldn't agree more. And I think profession as a whole perception from the new talent coming in is that it's stressful to begin with. Say you overcome that barrier and you join and then you come with all this fresh ideas, curiosity, open mind to try new channels, mechanics, whatever, you know, terminology you want to use because you feel or they feel that they're relevant to their target audience. And in some cases themselves, because they're part of that target audience and then get knocked back or criticized. Why would you? Why would you come back again? You know, our brains are designed to keep us safe. So if you've had a situation like that, you're less likely to speak up the next time. And it's happening both internally and in the profession as a whole, as we were describing earlier. So, you know, why can't we share and say, here's seven lessons that I've just learned from a recent AI campaign for sake of conversation. And everyone thank that person for being honest and sharing the things that went well, not so well, would do differently next time. So we benefit holistically, as opposed to the brave one that tries it, maybe it didn't work, keep quiet, don't say anything, we'll get criticised, we'll get ridiculed, all of those things. No, yeah, I agree on all fronts. And I think that it's something that I want to make sure that we are just being aware of, you know, aware of our language, aware of how it spreads, how it affects people, how it permeates different cultures in terms of industry agencies, that kind of stuff as well. And I I just think we can do better and I'd like to see us try. And that's why I really want more voices out there. I want more opinions to be shared. I want more lessons to be learned. I want more variety of work out there. And I want us to get into a mode of not criticizing, but learning and digesting and saying, okay, you tried that and that was great. You learned X, Y, Z and you won't do it this way round next time for this particular reason. And then we can all progress forward as we go. But I think that we are losing that opportunity and it just makes me really sad. It makes me really sad. And, you know, it's never a mistake, always a learning and really embracing that as a mindset internally and in the profession as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And on that point, career highs and lows, I'd love to hear about (laughs) your lessons and your learnings. Oh God, there are so many of them. I think my career high and low is probably similar. 
I never really followed a career trajectory. So when I first started out, which was 20 odd years ago, the mentality then was you go into a particular track, you know, within advertising, for example. So whether it's account management or strategy or creative or whatever it is, and you follow that track all the way through and you stick in the same kind of agency. So whether it's a media agency or a creative agency or a brand agency, you're going to stick within that world and that is your career path and then you're set. And that was the definition of success. You know, that's how you made it onto the top table. That's how you became a CEO or something along those lines, you know, which everybody kind of wanted to gravitate towards. And I was just never interested in staying on the same path. I got bored. And so I would stay somewhere for a year, 18 months, and then I would jump and, you know, and I go somewhere else entirely. And so my entire career is just all over the place. So, you know, I've worked in big media agencies like Mediacom, for example. I then went and worked at Naked Communications. I then went back to a media agency. Then I went to a digital agency. Then I worked with Adidas directly. Then I went to a management consultancy. Then I went to an innovation consultancy, went to New York and worked in organizational design and so on and so on. So I was constantly hopping around. And I remember going into an interview for a management consultancy in London and a woman sitting opposite me and going through my printed out CV. And she was just tapping my CV going six months, 12 months, six months, nine months. You're not very reliable, are you? And I was devastated. What I was hearing was you hop around too much. You're unable to stick to things. We don't want to hire you or invest in you because you're probably going to bugger off in six months. And so I left that interview in tears, just thinking, my God, have I managed all of this incorrectly? And that was a while ago, you know, I was still young, I was still kind of impressionable, and I was still desperately seeking people's validation of the choices that I had made. And it wasn't until many, many years later, where I started looking at this idea of being a multi-potentialite, or having a portfolio career, or just being an individual contributor, as opposed to becoming a people manager, which is always the same kind of track that you end up on, regardless of how good you are in a particular role, you always end up managing people, whether you're good at it, or not. I think it's a very unique talent. I don't have it personally. And I suddenly started to see my career in a different light. And I thought, hang on a minute, I've been building a portfolio of skills. So I can do innovation. I can do brand strategy. I understand media. I understand organizational transformation. I've done all of these things. I've worked client side. I've worked agency side. You know, I've done pitching. I've also done account planning. And it started to make more sense to me. And I started almost thinking of my career like a pizza. And I was like, all the different slices represent different experiences and different skills that I'm picking up along the way. And that idea of reliability is false because ultimately what I'm doing is I'm picking up all of this stuff and I'm cross-pollinating my own skills so that when I walk into a position or whether I walk into a contract, I am bringing all of that experience and that plethora of different skills with me. And this is a two-way relationship. So it's not just about an agency or a company investing in me. I'm also investing in them. I'm coming with that wisdom. I'm coming with that stuff that actually they're going to find useful and made me see things differently because I'd almost been unbelievably pathetically grateful for every position that I got. And I hadn't turned it around and go, I earned this. You know, I'm good at what I do and I'm bringing all of this stuff to the table. And it took me years to get to that point. And now it's something that I shout from the rooftops, this idea of actually going after a portfolio of skills as opposed to just sticking to one track. That idea of being proud of jumping around and absorbing like a sponge from different environments, from different cultures, from different ways of thinking, keeping what you think is useful and discarding the rest and then on you go. And I think it's something that we need more and more of in this industry because, you know, as we mentioned earlier with our TikTok strategists and our search strategists and all that kind of stuff, we are too piecemeal. And what we're missing is the holistic view. And so I think from my perspective, the best strategists out there are generalists. 
And you can't become a generalist unless you hop around, unless you look at a portfolio or a pizza skill set. And as I said, it's something that I naturally went for, but I was also ashamed of it. I was told that it wasn't the right way to be and it wasn't the right way to actually build any lasting career path. And I realized from a very young age that career path just wasn't for me. I just get interested in things and I follow my curiosity and wherever it leads me is, you know, wherever I need to be for that period of time. And then off I go again, and I learn something new. I've honestly only in the last couple of years really realized that that is a strength rather than a weakness. I love that. Almost like following the breadcrumbs, doing the next project based on curiosity and also always expanding your skills. And as I was listening to you, I don't think enough people do embrace switching categories, switching markets, following the scent or the breadcrumb or the thing that interests them, whether that's a consumer, a challenge, the role, the industry, the target audience. For me, it's each of those opportunities that will give you a different skill, a different behavior, a different understanding of cultures, industry sizes, challenges. I would rather personally hire someone who's done that than someone that's worked in the same sector or the same category for years on end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that is beneficial to actually have someone that can bring lots of different experiences and skill sets together. There are two fantastic books that I read a few years ago that I always tell everybody to read. One is Range by David Epstein, and the other is The Medici Effect. And I've completely forgotten the author, which is terrible of me. But both of them kind of talk about similar things, which is that generalism breeds innovation more so than specialism does. And they talk about, for example, Nobel Prize winners who have got a myriad of different skill sets, even though they might have won a prize in biology, for example, or physics. They talk about sports stars who are so incredibly good at what they do, like a Tiger Woods, for example, that actually have you know loads of other interests outside of it that they can kind of cross-pollinate, which then makes their game better or their performance better. They talk about NASA scientists getting inspiration from well outside the world of space and aerospace. You know, they talk about, for example, the very famous case study of doctors getting better in theatre in terms of turnaround because they took inspiration from Formula One pit teams and so on and so on. And they essentially say that concept of 10,000 hours turning you into an expert is a fallacy. And it's actually been proven untrue in myriad different cases. And instead, it's about actually having a cross section of different skills, which you can pull on to make sure that you're taking inspiration from lots of different places to make you better in your craft or better in your particular category. But that if you get sucked into just operating and thinking and executing within a certain category, you also get sucked into thinking and operating and executing in a certain way, which is going to narrow your way of looking at the world. It's going to narrow your range of possibilities. And you're going to get stuck in a very specific status quo, which is going to slow down any kind of innovation. It's going to stop you from looking at left of field ideas and making those kind of connections. And so I think, you know, when it comes to strategy, a lot of the time when we read traditional strategy books, we get very stuck in this is the way things are. This is how you do it. Here's the framework. Here's the paint by numbers process. And, you know, here is the story of strategy within the world of advertising. And instead, we need to be reading books like Range. We need to be reading books like The Medici Effect and understanding the importance of us basically being sponges in all areas of our lives, because all of that stuff will then amalgamate in our minds, consciously or unconsciously. And it makes us better at what we do. It makes us more elastic and more flexible when it comes to looking for solutions or looking at different ways of defining problems or borrowing from 
one entirely different category to further another one, which we wouldn't necessarily have put together. And that is one of the main reasons why clients get in touch with us, because they are looking for creative leapfrogs. They are looking for unusual inspiration. They're looking for us to connect dots, which they themselves haven't been able to. And it is our role and our success metric to be able to do that. And we do that because we are working across so many different worlds and we're able to bring lessons from one into the reality of another to make things better and more exciting and more effective. Snap. I couldn't agree more. And also to those that are listeners thinking, oh God, I'm still in the same organization I've been in for 20 years. Take the principle of being a sponge. You know, looking internally, you're probably an expert in how to get things done within your organization and know your category really well, but still remain a sponge and remain curious and look to draw from other companies and businesses and brands thinking and the way that they've approached and not just in work from life as a whole. So don't panic if that's what you're hearing right now. Yeah, I think it's just about making sure that you're taking inspiration from other places. So read far and wide, listen to a range of of different podcasts in different areas. You know, one of my favorite podcasts, which is now discontinued, was How I Built This, which was an NPR podcast. And it's talking to a range of different founders, everyone from the woman that founded Spanx, for example, to Burt's Bees, skincare, all the way through to Five Guys Pizza. And it's fascinating listening to the stories and, you know, how those businesses started, how they evolved, the challenges they had to overcome, the different directions they decided to go, the decisions that they made. And you're listening to a huge cross-section, you know, different categories. You know, you'd think that skincare has nothing to do with fast food, which has nothing to do with control underwear, but they've all got really interesting lessons that they are cross-pollinating from. And I think listening to those range again, stories, that breadth is going to be really enriching. And I think also, you know, follow your passions. If you're passionate about something random, like, I don't know, being a furry, for example, or you're really into 1980s hip hop, or you're really into Comic-Con or something along the lines of anime, dive into that topic and learn stuff from there and use those lessons to kind of cross-pollinate how you're thinking. But I think we've just got to make sure that we're constantly feeding and nurturing our innate curiosity because that's what makes us good at what we do. Zoe, thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast and sharing so openly, honestly, your processes, your thinking, your lived experiences, what you want for the profession, how people can embrace their challenges and much, much more. We always finish the podcast with the following question, which is what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? I think the one piece of advice would be the mindset that they operate within. Make it an open one and embrace optimism as your default in terms of everything that you look at. So, you know, what could this achieve? What could this do? Where could this technology go? How could we enter into this new world of, I don't know, the metaverse or gaming? We think that, for example, things like, as I mentioned, you know, NFTs are a fad and all silly, but what could they potentially open up for your business? And when you have that mindset of what could it do? Where could it go? What could the positives be? It'll take you into a completely different stratosphere. And it means that you're going to be much more able to connect disparate dots because you're keeping that open mind. And you're actually kind of saying, you know, I want to see what the connections are. I don't just want to shut this thing down. And I think that's the most important thing. And it may seem fluffy or it may seem like it's not a kind of hard skill. But I think as we progress forward, especially with new technologies like AI, these soft skills, which I don't think have ever been soft, but that's what we call them. But these soft skills of being able to be open, of being able to be empathetic, 
empathetic, of being able to be curious, are going to become ever more valuable when the you know donkey work is going to be stuff that we could easily do, you know, via systems like AI. We've got all of this fragmentation, but actually, how do we use our soft skills to kind of knit new ideas together? So that would be, you know, my main piece of advice is embrace optimism as your default mindset. And I think it can take you to really exciting places. That's a great piece of advice. And thank you again for your time on today's podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.